Welcome back, everyone, for another week. Perek Zion. We'll learn Lilo Inish Prasivka Bat Yaakov Levi, Rufua Shlema Pratihila Batya Bat Chaya Tova, Bracha Vigad Marach Gita, Yididya Chaiman Aviba Ripka Chaya, Moshe Alimelech, Halevi Ben Basha, Shalom Ben Chaya Sara, and Shadokim for all in need. We, we do have a question that we have to return to based on what we learned last week. Why does everything go to Hashem? Why is it that Yoshua declares that this is Cheyrem? So a simple idea is that to the victor go the spoils, which we discussed a bit last week. To the victor goes the spoils means that Hashem, being that he is the one that orchestrates the entire win in the battle against Yericho, it's his get battle plan. And he brings down the walls. And everything is because of Hashem. Therefore, the victor, the vic, to the victor, to Hashem goes the spoils. Everything belongs to him. And I think that's an important piece to note because with that in mind, we could understand the parak a little bit better. So let's take a look at the very beginning the Jewish people do something wrong, ma'al, is to steal, me'ila, is to steal from Hekdesh, it's to steal something that is holy. But is that actually in fact the case? Because it says, it is Achan who takes it. So which one is it? Is it that the Jewish people did something wrong? Or is it that Achan does something wrong? And furthermore, why do we need to know that he's Achan ben Karmi ben Zavdi ben Zerach Just tell me he's Achan ben Karmi I need to know he's from Zavdi and he's from Zerach. Who cares? Why do we need so much information? I remember as a kid when I learned this, for some reason, I felt that it was so important to know that I repeated it over and over and over and over, and over in my head. It almost became like a mantra. But why do we need to know that? What is the significance of that? So we're going to circle back to a lot of these questions at the end. And God gets very angry with the Jewish people. So what's going on here? What did they do wrong? So the idea is, perhaps, it's suggested by Moses. Everybody, all the Jews are responsible for one for the other. Again, we have to understand what that means. We're going to take a look at that a little bit more at the end. But again, it seems unfair. If Achan takes something, how are the Jews even supposed to know? He takes a few things. We'll see at the end. He doesn't take anything significant. He doesn't need a U-Haul truck where he's carrying so much stuff. He takes a few things and buries and hides them. Why is it that everyone takes the fall for it? It would seem... Like, this is a case of, it's not fair. How could Kal Yisrael Arevim Zebazet mean that because someone in private takes something, I now suffer? Seems to be very hard to understand. So I want to share with you a beautiful idea about the Malbim. The Malbim says, So let's understand that there's two different things. There is a punishment that happens directly. And there is a punishment that happens because Hashem merely takes himself away from the Jewish people. So the way it works is that if a person sins, they get punished directly. 
That is the punishment fits the crime. You do X, Y happens. That's what that's when God punishes you before. In the end, Achan is the only one that dies. He's the only one, which is an interesting machlok. We'll have to look at it. Yeah, but he's the only one that takes the fall. It's not the case when you talk about when Hashem removing himself from amongst the Jewish people. See that God does what? God removes himself, removes his face from all of that. Why? He says, I'm going to let you guys do this on your own, Jewish people. And that's, that's a very different thing. The Jewish people fall because God is not with them. It's not a direct consequence. So it's a fascinating way by the, of the Malbim understanding it. By the Jewish people are not punished because Achan takes it directly. But rather, God removes himself and says, okay, now you're on your own. Let's see what happens without Ashkach of Hashem. They lose the war. Now, let's take a look at the, the next puzzle. Yoshua sends people from Yericho to the eye. Asher im beit aven mikedem. So it is Asher in Beit Aven. It is by Beit Aven, which is Mikadem Lebeit El, the east of Beit El. Now you have to look at the map on the left here because I think it helps a lot to understand a few things. First of all, let's understand the where they are. So they're in Gilgal. They just beat. It, they just defeated Yericho and they go back to Gilgal over here. Now they're going to fight Ha'ai, not I Ha'ai. There is more than one eye in Tanakh. Ha-ai is that eye. Now, this eye should be familiar for us because it comes up twice in duration. Avram Avinu goes to I twice, which is Beit El Miyam Ba'ai Mikedem. Ha-ai is Mikedem, is to the east of Beit El. So we have Beit El, we have I, and then right in the middle is Beit Aven. Fascinating read I found in trying to understand the archaeology and the can we find the eye? You have to go to Yericho. I figured out. Maybe I'll find some time and go to I. They have not found I yet, according to most. They have found Biblical Beit El, and there is a large city that they found nearby. Originally, they thought perhaps that that was I, um, until they dated it and realized that it was actually predated uh, the times of Yoshua. And so the thinking perhaps is that Beit Aven is just a marker along the road because it's a big place. But Beit Aven had been destroyed already, but Beit El was still there and I was where it is. Now, why are they doing this? Why the attack here? Ravigal Ariel says something amazing. He says, you have to understand that by cutting across the country and getting to Beit El, which if you look straight down, straight down from Beit El's Yushalayim, they are actually cutting the country in half. They're cutting the country in half. This is a the, the right side of the country, right over here. If you look at the other map, it's all mountainous. There are a few seams along the way that you can get through. But generally, the way that you would get through, which is currently also the way you would get from north to south in Israel, is you have along the Jordan River, you have the 90, the highway that goes from Yam HaMelach all the way up north. You can take it all the way to the Kinaret, practically. And then you have Route 60, which is um, the Derech Ha'avot. It goes all the way down south. You can catch it in Hebron. 
even further down, I believe. And it goes all the way north past Shechem. So the 60 would be the other highway. There really is nothing between the 60 and the 90. I looked on Google Maps. You'll see that there are small, uh, small roads, small different, uh, really, really, really small windy roads. But in general, the only way to get around is um, along the 60 and the 90. By controlling from Yericho all the way to Ai, if you assume from Ai you're going to go to Beit El, they have cut off the country in half, which means that the southern kings and the northern kings no longer have the ability to join up and fight the Jewish people. Strategically, that's brilliant. Now, if you take a look at the map on the right, the map on the right has three separate highways. It has the red highway over here. It is called Derech Hamelech. It is a highway that goes from ancient Babylonia, Mesopotamia, all the way to Egypt. It does not actually go through Israel until it crosses over at Aqaba and then goes across the, the desert. Probably, it really does not go through much of even current day Israel. It is mainly a highway just that gets around Israel and goes to Egypt. It goes from one great civilization to another. The purple road is the Via Maris, which is the road of the sea. It comes down by the Kinneret, and it goes through one of the seams, and it puts you out on the coast. And then it goes down all the way, hugging the coast all the way until it gets to Egypt as well. And then the third highway is Derech Avot. It is the way Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov traveled. They went through Shechem. Yushalayim, Hebron, Be'er Sheva, that is the highway that they use. There's two pieces that are going on here, says Ravigal Ariel. First off, the reason why they're going to I is it's purely strategic. By cutting the country in half, you'll have full access to the 90. It's not a biblical road. You'll have full access to Derech Avot, and the eastern part of the country is now segregated you're pretty much in control of the army. But he says there's another piece to it. There's a spiritual component to it. They are going to some of the same places that Avram Avinu went to. Now, Avram Avinu started in Shechem. It's his first stay in Israel. And then works his way down, eventually ending up in Beit El, then going down to Be'er Shev. The Jews were going to do the reverse. We'll see after we finish Milchemet Ha'ai that they go from Beit El and they go north to Shechem. By doing this, they are spiritually reconnecting with the Avot. Why is that important? It's important because I think the whole essence of being in Israel is the recognition that we are walking in the footsteps of our forefathers. And even though this series might be walking with the prophets, but we're walking with the, the footsteps of the Avot. How many places do you go in Israel and you say to yourself, wow, Avram could have walked here. Yitzchak, Yaakov, the brothers. That is the essence of what the Jewish people are doing. They are saying that this is not starting with us. This goes back hundreds of years to our ancestors. So the Pasuk says that Yoshua sends them to the area. He sends them to the area that they are supposed to go to. Just to read you Ravigal's words, Lo Patchuba Daf Chadash, Elat Sadu Biikvot Avot Hauma. They are not, it's not a new page. It's, an, it's a new chapter, perhaps, but it's a new chapter of the same footsteps, of the same story. 
Shekinyanam ha yistori tevaba kinyan ruchani pnimi. It's not just a battle, but there is something so incredibly spiritual in what the Jewish people are doing. But I must say that we have to note one other thing in this puzzle first. Before we move on, let's look at Yoshua's commandment. He says to them, I want you to go and scout out, spy out the whole land. But the people go, and where do they go? They spy out just I. Listen to what the Malbim says. It's mind-blowing. The Jewish people messed up. Spoiler alert. The Jews are not all going to go into this battle. Malbim says the mistake was all the Jews should have gone. Understand that even though I is a small city, it's right next to Beit El, it's right next to Beit Aven, and they're taking a great risk by not going all of them. If the entire Jewish people go, you're talking at 600,000 troops. They'll find themselves in such a strategically strong place that even if Beit Avin comes out, even if Beit El comes out, they're, they're fine. I, I like it to the game of risk. If you have that many troops on one place, if I lose a little bit, you're not going to lose the war. And that's what should have happened. The Jews should have all gone out. The spies went on their own by Ragluta'i. They only, only check out I, Levad, Loeta Aretz Kula. They didn't look at the, uh, the, the rest. So why did they ignore the rest of the area? Because they deacted Midat Atzmam, says the Malbin. And by doing that, they are going to mess up big time. Now let's take a look at what happened. Don't take everybody. Two or three thousand people. That is more than enough. Don't take all the Jews. Why? Because they're they're ma'at. Now I want to go back to this map for just a moment because I want to suggest something. They say Don't make the people worn out. How do you get from Gilgal-Yerifo to Ai? So I looked on a map. It, it's not a short trip. There is a road that's a little bit north. It's covered up by the map on top of the map. There is a road. You can take it. Car. It's, it's quite a bit. It's, it's an eight-hour walk. It's 25 kilometers, something like that. But there's a good chance that they actually went along this path right over here. It's a wadi. Probably was empty. It's already the springtime. Even though already ER, the end of ER, something like that, middle of ER. They're going along the way. They could walk through the wadi. Could you imagine one of these narrow wadis taking 600,000 soldiers through there? It's so exhausting. So they look, sum it up, and they're like, why do you need to do that? Ha'ai is a small city. And so that's their suggestion. So you know what? Yoshua says, you're telling me I need about two or 3,000 people. Okay, I'm going to go, uh, let, let me hedge my bets. I'm going to go with 3,000. But they end up 
they end up fleeing. They run away. I wins the war. They kill about 36 people. We're going to get back to the about 2,000, about 3,000, about 36, because you can't have about 36. 2,000, 3,000, it's an estimate. 36 is not an estimate. That's like saying this morning, I'd like about four chicken nuggets. No, no. You want about five chicken nuggets. About four, that's like an exact number. They chase them from the gate, Ad Hashvarim, until Shvarim, Mitzurat Zion says it's the name of a place outside of Ai. They, they run out to there, they chase them to there, and the place gets its name. Why? Because the Jewish people are attacked. They Akumba Morad, and they get slaughtered. The attack, the 36 people that die, are going, they're going downhill. You never want to be running away downhill with an enemy behind you. And the people's hearts melt and it's like water. Now this should really resonate with us because we know that we have these words. The Jewish people are told that the people of Yericho, the people of Canaan, their hearts have melted. And now all of a sudden the tables are turned. So what happens? Yoshua tears his clothing. He falls on his face before the Aaron of Hashem Ad Ha'erev until nightfall. He and all this kingdom of Yisrael. They put dirt on their heads. Vayomer Yoshua, Yoshua says, Aha Hashem Lukim, Lama Havarta Viratam Zeta Yardain, Lateto Tanu Biada Mori Lavidenu, Vluho Alnu. Why did you do this? Why did you make us cross over? You did this whole miraculous crossing of the Yardin. What for? For us to lose? The little town of Ai? Abar Benel points out that it seems like Yehoshua's reaction and all the leaders' reaction is a little bit over the top. Really? 36 people die. That's a tragedy. Every Jewish person that dies is a tragedy. I think that is one of the most unbelievable qualities of the Jewish people. And you see it in the Jewish army. The Jewish army mourns one soldier. Other countries, you see wars in the world. Thousands of people die. Nobody cares. They're just statistics. Jewish people, every soldier, it's someone's son. It's someone's family. So what, what exactly is going on here? Why does the Torah make such a big deal. If you were to go back to the comparison to the game of risk, I put 500 armies on one country. I'm going to win a lot. But invariably, I'm going to roll a snake eyes. I'm going to lose a soldier here and there. It's inevitable. So why, asks the Abar Benel, why is Yoshua so broken? Why are the people so broken? Is it simply... Because the Jewish people realize that they're not invincible? Or is it something more than that? Abar Benel offers a brilliant, brilliant answer. He says, Yoshua is saying to God, you set them up. The Jewish people didn't have to cross over the Arden miraculously. You made the water stand up. Why? Could have taken boats. Could have built a bridge. There were so many other ways to get across the water. But God, you insisted to take away in a miraculous way. Because the message you were sending was that the conquest 
is going to be miraculous. God, why did you have to do that for us? You set us up. If we didn't know of miraculous wars, but we thought it was going to be natural, we would have fought differently. We would have planned differently. Yoshua cries out. But Yoshua cries out something amazing. He cries out, why did you take us out of Egypt? He tears his clothing. Yoshua, in both of those actions, is actually channeling or echoing an event that Yoshua is very familiar with. Yoshua is one of the miraculous. He comes back from the land of Israel and he says the land is great. People don't agree with that. The other 10 spies say, no, the land is not great. Shouldn't leave Egypt. Let's go back. It's not worth it. Let's stay in the desert. Going to, eat, going to Eretz Canaan won't make sense. Yoshua tears his clothing there. He tears his clothing again. Similarity. But Moshe never said, why did you take us out of Egypt, God? Yoshua is saying what the people said. The Manhattan suggests something unbelievable. He said that all Yoshua is playing the part of Yoshua from Miraglin. Moshe, the defender of the Jewish people, and people themselves. He says, perhaps, buried in the Jewish people was Cheta Egel. This big question about how and why and should we go to Israel. Jewish people were never ready to fully unearth that. In fact, in the first six prakim, there's no mention of that. Everything is an astounding success. Now they finally fall. They finally stumble. You know what happens? Yoshua says, it's fine. Because we are going to exercise the mechei from us. We are going to take it out of us once and for all to say that, yes, we've stumbled. Yes, we fall, fell. But we are not going to let it get in our way. What am I supposed to say? We, we turned our back to the enemy. God, what is going to be? This is Moshe Rabbeinu. Yet, the message is, we're going to still do it. God says to Yoshua, get up. Why are you on your feet, on your face? You got to move on. Perhaps say some of the Mepharshim, the criticism of Yoshua. Yoshua, you sent the two or 3,000 soldiers out. What did you do? You stayed back. You were in the camp. You were waiting. Yoshua, you have to lead them. Maybe. Or perhaps more simply, what is God saying to Yoshua? It is not, if you want to move on, if you want to make sure that the people don't fall apart, then don't allow yourself to sit there and to cry, yes, 36 people died. Yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, that's terrible. But we move on. But we move on. What happens? God says, get up. And why? The Jewish people have broken my covenant. They took from the cheyrem. They stole. And they lied. They put things in their, they put stuff in their own possessions. God says, you will continue to lose. 
You will not be able to win until you get rid of the cherev from within your midst. In Pasuk Yud Gimel, God is going to tell us how to fix it. But I want to ask a question. Who sinned here? Who really is the culprit for all of this? So, Yoshua could be a, one of the people. Rashi says, why didn't he go out? B'nai Yisrael. Is it possible that B'nai Yisrael messed up here? Maybe they were a little bit too, they believed a little bit too much in themselves. Maybe it's all of them. Goldvicht says something unbelievable. It says, what's the deal with, with I? I is the place of Abraham. They come back to I here. What is the spiritual connection between them? He says something unbelievable. When, when Abraham goes to I the first time, he's not a rich man. He comes from, from Chavran. He has some stuff. He's a poor not rich. He goes down to Egypt. And he becomes wildly successful. Super wealthy. And yet what happens? He goes back and stays in the same places. Rashi points out, goes back to the same hotels on the way back up. But not only that, he goes back to his humble beginnings, goes back to I. Millionaires who are frugal, they don't have to be. That is the idea, perhaps, that Goldach is suggesting. What is the connection to I? What's the message of I? Message is Avram Avinu. If you build a huge house because you're a millionaire, and you do it because you want to know you're a millionaire, not recognizing that the reason why you have this gift is a gift from God. It's not kochi v'otsem yadi. I want to hold on to that thought for just a little bit as we go on and try to understand a little bit more what's going to happen. The, tri- the trial. How are you going to figure out who did it? They don't know who it is. You're going to put out a, an announcement. Whoever stole, come here. Yes, it's a teacher moment. I'm going to close my eyes. And put it on my desk. And if nobody, and nobody has to get in trouble. Is that how they're going to do it? Do you think Achan is going to fall for that? No. God says, listen, tell the people to get ready for tomorrow. God says, and the Jewish people should know, someone has a cheyrem. I want to know how it is. And you will not win until I find out. So bring all the shvatim up. One representative of each shevet. And the shevet that's chosen, then afterwards, all of their families will come. One representative of each bigger family. And once you have the families, then you're going to go to the individual houses within the family. Once you have the individual family, grab like The men will come. Whoever is caught with the cherem, he will be burnt. He and everything he has. At the Brit Hashem, he broke the covenant of God. Committed this heinous act. How did they do it? So there's two possibilities that the Midrashim share with us. One is that each member, each shevet, each family, would come into the arms of the, the poles of the Aron. And then what would happen is 
if it was your family, meaning if it was all the Shvatim, the Shevet that sinned, their leader would be trapped in there. It would be an invisible force field that would hold them back. And then afterwards, you would do each subset until you finally get the, the until you finally get Achad. Another possibility is that they use the Choshen. The Choshen, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, it had all the Shvatim's names on it. They said, no, which one is it? And the, the tribe would light up. And through that, they would figure out who the person was. But Manhattan points out that either version represents the unique relationship, both the Aron and the, and the Choshen. It, it, the, there are ob- objects that represent the relationship that we have with Hashem. That is how they were going to figure it out. So what happens? Yeshua gets up in the morning. Yehuda is chosen. I do wonder a little bit if perhaps the reason why they waited until the next day is because people needed some time for this all to digest. And perhaps the hope was that whoever did it would actually confess. And I think that's significant because of what we're going to see in the Psukim how the Pstukim seem to say one thing, and the Midrashic overlay has a completely, completely different attitude to it. So what happens? However they did it, Yehuda was trapped. And what happens? We start off, the entire Jewish people, all are, each representative, each Shevet comes in. Then what happens? Yehuda. Yehuda is singled out. What happens next? We get Zarchi. It's a community. Get the family of Zavdi. And then what happens? Take all the men from Zavdi. Achan. Achan is chosen. Achan. Ben Karmi. Ben Zavdi. Ben Zerach. He's chosen. What is going on here? I believe beautiful idea by Rabbi Hatton is that God is basically saying that I need you to understand that all the dimensions of the community are involved in this. A person should never think that he lives by himself, but rather he lives as part of a family. And that's his personal unit. And then he has a community that's a greater amount. And he's part of a shavit. He's part of a nation. Man has a special place as a unique individual, but he can't can't forget that he's not only an individual, he's part of a collective as well. So what happens? Yoshua says, come on, admit it. Tell us what you did wrong. Admit your guilt. Tell me what you did and don't hide anything. Abar Benel points out, tell me, done privately, respectfully. Listen to Yoshua's words. My son, come on, you messed up. Tell us what you did. But the Medrash has a completely different take on it. The Medrash then says, no, this was an emotionally charged event. What does he say? Achim says, really? You think so? You caught me? Why didn't you go in there? Why you put Pinchas in there? You guys go in there. I bet it'll stop on you also. 
Achan is questioning the integrity of the test to determine it. Says the Medrash, it's not only a question on the integrity of the system. This is the very same system. The Goral to determine if who's going to get land will also be done in a similar fashion using these instruments of Kedusha. If you question whether it's authentic here, you're questioning the authenticity of the Goral and the entire way of distributing the land of Israel. And they're going back and forth, says the Medrash. The Medrash says, Yeshua diffuses the situation. Rev. Remmer says beautifully, he says the words, Bini, my son, why? He says, let's take it down a notch. It's not personal. I care about you. I love you. I'm interested in you, but you messed up. How can we fix this? Rev. Remmer says, it's not just Bini, that saying you're part of Bini Israel. You know, one of the challenges that I think Perik Zion addresses is what happens when you lose. Often and often in sports, coaches are in a great place when they're winning. You win a championship. You win, tw- you win 20 games in a row. Everything is flying high. There's good vibes and everybody's loving it. And everybody's on the same page. And then when you lose, that's when you often have finger pointing. And the papers will write about how the coach is losing the locker room. And he doesn't know how to relate to the people. The first six, Prakim Yoshua has no controversy. There's no challenge. Everything is going great. And then all of a sudden, paradigm, things don't go so smoothly. Things are tricky and complicated. And yet, Yeshua is able to maintain his discipline. Perhaps that's the message that the Medrash is trying to tell us. In light of the fact that they are, he's being accused of not having integrity. He could fire back and be like, really? You're a thief and you're questioning my integrity? Look at my resume. Sure calms it down. Bini, why are you doing this? Tenlo toda. Toda. He's Achen ben Karmi ben Zavi Mizerach Lamate Yehuda. What is Yehuda's greatness? Toda. Yehuda admits to his sin with Tamar. Just come clean. Vayan Achen et Yushu Vayomar Amna Anochi Chatati Lashem Lotei Sol Kazo Kazo Kasiti. You're right. I stole. I did wrong. I saw a beautiful coat. And 200 silver coins. And a talent of gold. It is underneath my tent. It's in there. All the stuff and the money is there. They run to the oil. They get it. They bring it back. Why? Because they want to rid it as quickly as possible. Because if they rid it, what happens? They will be free. And hopefully, everything will be okay. I'm sorry. And they destroy it in front of God. Scatter it, says Mitsugasavit. They take everything. Achan, 
all the things that he had stolen, his animals, his family. And they bring him to Amek, to the valley of Achor. What have you done? You muddied the waters for us. They pelt him with stones and they burn him. And then they throw stones at him. Perhaps they were said to redact that they threw stones as they were getting there and going along the way. And then they put a mound of stones there until this very day. And God calms down. God is no longer angry. And the place is then called Emek Achor until this very day. It's a testament. It's a monument to declare that we don't play like this. Rav Samit, Melchan and Samit has a beautiful idea. He says, Ocher Yisrael. Ocher Yisrael is only two times in Tanakh. Here, by Eliyahu. Ahab accuses Eliyahu of being an Ocher Yisrael causing the Jewish people to go astray, muddying it for the Jewish people. Why is he referencing Achan, the same story? Why did Achan steal personal gain? The idea that Samit wants to suggest is that anytime you have someone that's Ocher Yisrael, the suggestion is that he's doing it for his own personal gain. Achan accuses Eliyahu of doing everything for personal gain. Hold on to that for a couple of years. But Achan clearly was doing for personal gain. So we find ourselves now all of a sudden trying to understand why are all the Jewish people being punished for this whole thing? Yes, I understand that 36 people died. Kit 36 people. Why Kit 36? So the Mepharshim say maybe it was only one person. Ya'ira ben Minasheh. He was worth half, more than half of the Sanhedrin. Okay, that's it. Why kid 36 people? So I want to try to answer that. And why Why is it that all the Jewish people are accused? Why are they when it's only really Achan that does it? Three possible answers. Went walking this morning with, uh, with my wife, discussing it. She had a, a really, really profound answer. She said, in order for something bad like this to happen, Anytime something goes wrong in a community, we have to look and say, how is it possible that nobody, no one saw any signs on this? Why did Achan steal? Did Achan steal because he, was, he felt poor? Did Achan steal because he, he had some, some mental health issues that he was coping with? Did Achan steal because there was something, he had a crisis of faith, he didn't fully believe in God? How could the community see someone falter and not take note of it? That's the message to the Jewish people. Is that when something goes wrong, the community has to ask, how did we not see? That's one possibility. Another possibility is the idea of Arevut. That we're all part of the same people. Call yourself Raven Zebazet. We're all part of the same body. If my hand does something wrong, my foot is just as responsible. It's part of the same goof. The Jewish people are all one goof. One person sins, they're all, they all go down together. 
perhaps you can couple onto that. The idea is that the Jewish people forever, morality and responsibility and success are woven into each other. If the Jewish people don't live up to the high expectations, they won't be successful. One part is not firing to the best of their ability. It's going to come toppling down. Second answer. Third answer is a brilliant answer, by the way, Alex Israel. I want to share it with you, but first I want to go back and ask a question. To the victor goes the spoils. What do the Jewish people feel about the battle in Yericho? Who did they feel was the one that won the war? Did they feel that it was God? Or did they feel that it was them? Now, clearly, Achan takes it to a whole new level. He steals from the Cheyre. He for sure believes that the Jewish people are the victims. But perhaps he's the tip of the iceberg. But under the water lies a much, much greater problem. The Jewish people send spies. And they come back to Yoshua and they say, I don't know, we need two, three thousand people. Two, three thousand people. Your eye is a city of 12,000 people. To be able to say that they only need two, three thousand people, it is an act of haughtiness. They believe that it's us. We're the ones that could do this. Same way we won at Yerifo, we win again. Says of Israel, Arevut. Call Yisrael Raven Zebazeh, the notion of Arevut is not just Arev is a guarantor, but Arev, Arevav is to mix up, to be combined. Perhaps all the people were mixed up in thought. They all were thinking exactly the same thing. They were thinking that we are the ones that are winning all these wars. And that's a very dangerous, dangerous idea. Because then even in debt, eh, it's Kishloshim and Shesh, like 36 people. It's not such a big deal. The Jewish people, unfortunately, had drunk the Kool-Aid of thinking it was all them. I, is a wake-up call to them, that their success, even if it's going to be naturally won, it's still very much connected to God. God's Ashkacha, like the Malbim said, is with them. And that is what makes them win or lose. When we come back next time, we'll pick up with Perikhet to see I, round two. The Jewish people are going to take another crack at it, but we'll see how different the second battle is. Have a great week.